Thank you, Terry, choir, orchestra, praise band, soloist. What a wonderful time of worship. Appreciate all of you. Give a hand of praise for God working through people's gifts and ability. It's a great thing to see. Thank you. If you're joining us in a simulcast today, thank you for joining us. We're in, uh, we left off, as some folks said last week, why did you leave off before the great miracle? What's wrong with you? Didn't you go to seminary? Didn't you learn anything? He's getting ready to have, but I did learn a thing or two, but only showing God's grace as it's song sang about, but there's a reason why. We'll get into that just in a moment before we do. Um, sometimes you can see a bunch of people dancing around, cutting themselves and everything and say, that's dumb. Well, Bubba, not to be outdone, you might not have known he got fired from the M&M factory. Why? Because he was throwing away all the W's. <laughs> Thank you, Brian. Yes, I, the, Brian cracked up. Thank you, sir. And I didn't pay him that $20 just to laugh either. That, thank you. You know, you finally got it. Listen, there are some dumb things that happen. And one of the dumb things in life is thinking an idol that you made can do something. You ch- chisel the stone. You make an idol out of wood and think it's going to do something. Well, dumb is what dumb does. Whether you're getting fired from an M&M factory or worshiping something you created. Today we're going to talk about an incredible thing that happened that was beyond the miracle of the fire. Many times in reading the passage, we get to that passage in 1 Kings and looking forward to Elijah going up there and fire falls down. And we're going to get to that. But it's 10% of today's message today. And I will be very transparent and honest with you. Even last week looking at that, leaving right off before there, I thought I knew where I was going. Sunday night I was thinking about that. Here's the direction we're going with that for this passage and worked on that Monday. Monday's kind of one of those days a lot of pastors take off. I don't. I want to get going and seeing what God has. And beside that, by Wednesday around noontime, if you're going to have that outline in your worship guide, that has to be in your worship guide by before I eat on Wednesday. But there's a motivation right there, right? <laughs> and so I finished up Monday, went home, and that night as I was praying, I said, God, that's not, that's not it. And came with the vulnerability, and this is how I know it's God. I came with nothing Tuesday morning. Tuesday morning is staff meeting. We meet till usually at least lunchtime, sometime later. Go out to lunch together, come back, have meetings. So pretty much I'm under the tyranny of time because Sunday and Wednesday come every week. Right? Some of you get that. But God gave me a word Tuesday. I prayed that and said, God... You brought down fire from heaven. I need to bring down a word for him. What do you have for your people? This is the message we have today. The message we have today has to do with a man that had some conviction. You see, a person will argue for a belief. But a person will die for a conviction. Elijah was a person of conviction. And that's our motif today as we look at the prayer that he prayed. Word of God says in 1 Kings 18, 36 and 37, some elements of what true prayer is all about. Bring up those passages, please. Thank you. At the time of the sacrifice, the prophet Elijah stepped forward and prayed, Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known today that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant. 
and have done all these things at your command. Keep going. Answer me, O Lord, answer me, so these people will know that you, Lord, are God and that you are turning their hearts back again. There's a whole lot there, and that's where we're going today. Because as we look at that, we note a huge contrast in what's taking place in two prayers. Just before this prayer, we have 850 prophets of Baal and Asherah dancing around. They're in their fancy, colorful garb, necklaces around their neck with metal that shimmers from the sun. They are dancing around going nuts. They finally, after nothing's happening about noontime, when the fire god, the lightning god, the god of the heavens should be doing something, and he's not, Elijah taunts him a little bit. Maybe your god's busy. Maybe he's indisposed in the bathroom. We don't know. He is taunting them. And so what do they do? It's amazing. And I said that last week. Sometimes the more failure there is, the more failure that some people have, the more intractable they get to say, I'm going to up the ante on this. So what do they do after you get, they get taunted? They take out spear swords. They cut themselves. The word of God says the blood flowed. They yelled louder but nothing, okay? You're going to see the contrast in a a, a moment of prayer contrasted with six plus hours of frantic yelling. There's a lot of people that are dancing in circles, frantically yelling to God to do something, and they've missed the essence of what true prayer is all about. And in these couple of verses we're going to look at today, the few of them, there's some key elements to what true prayer is all about. I'm going to look at those and see significant elements of Elijah's prayer. He prays, O Lord. You'll see the capital letters there. That is God's personal name. God, as Moses looked at burning bush, who should I say sent me? Tell them I am sent you. I am your strength. I am your refuge. I'm your redeemer. I'm your rescuer. I'm your salvation. I'm your provider. I'm your healer. I am past, present, and future. And I always will be. It's the personal name of God. And if you use that name and say that name, you can take that name in vain by not believing in who who I am truly is. You see, the word of God tells us, do not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. But many people call on it. They use it in vain for the wrong reason. It's not just using it in a sentence that has a, what's considered a swear word in it. You can take his name and not use it the proper way that it should be used. When you call out in prayer, oh Lord, when you're calling the proper name of God, it carries something with it. It's significant. And we're going to look at several presuppositions that are vital elements of true prayer. First of all, oh Lord recognizes God's omniscience. When you call out to the God of the universe... If you believe that he is and you call him by his proper name, it presupposes he is omniscient. Omniscience is a quality of God that means he is all-knowing. He knows everything. Genesis 1.1 gives us some insight into that because it says, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Everything you see, everything we understand so far about the universe, which is about this much, right? God put in order. I read something recently and it went like this. It said, when people are exploring and coming with all kinds of theories regarding the earth, it says that Mars has had more mapping than the bottom 
of our ocean. It was very interesting to me because they say they're always discovering new things in the ocean, different things about it that they're trying to understand. It's an amazing thing, isn't it? God created everything to work together simultaneously. Had a wedding this weekend, and the interesting thing about weddings, and I've done uh, probably uh, right around 400 or so, give or take, you know, 20, 30, 10, whatever. A lot, right? That's a lot of cake, isn't it? It sure is. What a blessing. And I make sure I carry out the pastors. I made A in food in seminary. That's the one thing I did learn. But in fact, I made it before that with my Italian heritage. But what I learned about that is this. The day comes, the hour comes, the minute comes, and everything's not perfect. Someone may be late, something may happen, a candle gets kicked over, whatever it is. How with that much planning can it not go perfectly just like it's supposed to do, right? How? How did the, who knew the ring bearer would drop the ring and would roll to the only place that you couldn't get it? Who could have figured that? Who would think there'd be a little junior groomsman up there with his knees going together that yells out, I have to, right? Who knew that? It just is part of the whole process. See, and I say that to say this, even something as small as something for 30, 40, 50 minutes, we can't exactly plan right. Look what God put together in the trillions of things that interact on the planet Earth. Plants with bees and insects and oxygenation of our... It's just it's crazy, isn't it? It's amazing. So when we say, oh Lord, we're talking to an omniscient God, we don't have to feed Him information because we know He already knows. We talk to Him to have fellowship with Him. He is omniscient. He knows everything. Bring up the next slide. We're going to roll in pretty fast today. Significant elements of Elijah's prayer is God's creative knowledge. How it all fits together. It's amazing, isn't it? Because it had to be created simultaneously. The bees weren't sitting there like this. I'm bored. The flowers aren't here yet, right? It all happened. The flowering trees, all of that, and everything else that fits together. It's amazing. The squid weren't at the bottom of the ocean now, 9,600 feet, waiting for the whales to get there because God didn't figure out they needed sonar in their head because it's black, pitch black down there. He put it in their head so they can get it simultaneously, on and on and on and on. God is a God of creation, and to do that, he had to be omniscient to know everything, except there's one problem. If you only are omniscient, you can think everything, know everything, but if you don't have the power to do it, it's no good. God is also omnipotent. You see, when you say, oh, Lord, it recognizes God's omnipotence, that he is all-powerful. So by his power, he spoke and put this all together. That's why it says, and God looked back and said it is good. When he created man and woman, he said it is very good. By the way, we're the only beings he created that don't cooperate with him. All others do. And so we have this element of God's omnipotence. He's omniscient. It says in Romans 1.20, for since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities and eternal power, his divine nature have been clearly seen. There we go. His what? God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and his divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood by what has been made so that men are without excuse. I've used this before and said it. Things that are made is one word in Greek. It's poema. It means poem. We get our English word poem from that. When you see how everything fits together, you cannot possibly think in your mind, this just happened. It says and yells out, there's a divine creator. No one, no thing, no coincidence could put this together except an almighty God. In fact, it's so obvious that God says, 
So men are without excuse. Natural creation will not get you saved, will not get you to heaven, but it will point you to an almighty God. And that almighty God, once you believe and begin to understand something about natural revelation, what we all see, points you to the one that created the trees that made the cross, that crucified the Savior of the world because he loved us by his grace and mercy, he saved us. It's a beautiful thing. When we say, oh, Lord, it's not just some little catchword. It's his name. It means something. It means he's omniscient. It means he's omnipotent. I'll tell you what else it means. Bring up the next slide. Thank you. It means he's unlimited and limitless. You can't say, well, I, God, how can something happen in our city and reach people in our city? Look at all. Look how bad it is on our campus, in our school, in government, whatever, whatever thing you want to put in there. God is unlimited and limitless. Jeremiah thirty two twenty seven says, I am the Lord, the God of all mankind. Is anything too hard for me? It's rhetorical. If you say, well, no, there's not God. Since you put all together, there's not anything too hard for God. Except one thing. God's looking for people that will cooperate with him. There's lots of people on planet Earth that will argue for a belief. But there's few people who claim Lord willing to die for a conviction. That's the difference between belief and conviction. A belief is something you can argue about. A conviction is something you're willing to die for. Elijah was willing to die for his conviction because he's standing up there looking really kind of dumb to a lot of people all alone over on one side in his ragtag outfit. When all the the, the colorful prophets, 850 of them with all their garb and all the other people lined up that side. The king himself with all of his courts lined up there and you stand alone. You look kind of dumb. Have you ever felt kind of dumb standing alone? I remember taking students for 10 years to South Padre Island. 70, 80,000 students go down there. I remember some members of our church were taking our church vans to use them to carry lost people in. All right, sinners. What if they throw up in it? We'll clean it up. What if there's a wreck? We have to trust God for that. And we drive from 7 at night to 7 in the morning. And I can tell you with 35 or 40 students, you can feel quite alone when you look out and see something the size of a pretty good-sized city that's there to party and live like Hades and don't want you there. You can feel alone, but I watch God work. You would say, what do you think you're going to do with all those people? What do you think you're going to do? You never get them all. You're right, so let's just quit, right? There was not one year ever where we didn't have at least 200 names and schools and addresses of students who made professions of faith. Think about over 10 years. I wonder what's happening throughout the world as those students that we took made a difference in their life. You see, if you want to think like a loser, you can find a way to excuse yourself out of being a person of conviction. But when you're convicted... When you're willing to die for something, and there was a time or two when some students were getting ready to push a van over, it's going back and forth. I know God protected us many times. People want to see the great things of God, but never take a risk for God. They want to step out. Lots of people will argue a belief. Few, few have a conviction because a conviction is something you will are willing to die for. Word of God says, as Elijah made the prayer, believing God is omniscient, he's omnipotent, that he's limited and limitless. He said the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel. He points out that in his prayer to make an important point for me and you. Thousands of years later, Elijah made history because he trusted in God and he had a conviction. 
It's a true prayer that believes God can cause the impossible to become possible. Bring up the next slide. God makes the impossible possible. It says in Genesis 15, verses 3 through 5, God's promise to Abram. And Abram said, you've given me no children, so a servant in my household will be my heir. Then the word of the Lord came to him. By the way, when you try and figure out what God wants to do with some kind of a plan you may have that looks, let me, let me figure this out. You're going to botch it up and stink on ice, okay? Let God do something. Believe in him and trust him. He can do the miraculous. It says, this man will not be your heir, but a son coming from your own body will be your heir. Well, God, hmm. He took him outside, it says, and he said, look up at the heavens and count the stars, if indeed you can count them. Then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. Abraham is not capable of having children, neither is Sarah. The word of God says they were as if they were dead to that. They were dead to that. But some crazy thing happened. You see, God did bring about something. Let's look at the story because in it we see ourselves. People will argue a belief. Few will have a conviction because a conviction is something you'll die for. It says that Sarah laughed at God's ability to do the impossible. So I'm going to ask you a question. Could God have a revival in our city? Could God turn things upside down in this place? I'm not saying everyone gets saved, but could God do such a revival that it shakes a city, that it shakes a nation? Could God do that? You see, if you have a conviction God can, then you'll be part of the conviction that you're part of the process. Then you will have the kind of faith that will take a risk, the kind of faith that, God, I'm willing to die for a conviction. I'm beyond belief. I'm into conviction. You see, Sarah laughed at God's ability to do the impossible. It says in Genesis 18, verses 13 through 15. Watch how God bust us for just having a belief and not a conviction. Then the Lord said to Abraham, why did Sarah laugh? You see, God hears us and say, will I really have a child now that I am old? Didn't believe God. And it says, is anything too hard for the Lord? I'll return to you at the appointed time next year. And Sarah will have a son. Sarah was afraid. So she, say it out loud, real loud, lied, just like we lie to God. She lied. See, pastor, I want to see your revival in our city, but I don't know what I can do about it. Yes, you do. You can start praying for it. Our church, we can't think about the next church, the next person, that guy. I pray that they love Jesus and they know he's the only Lord of this earth and he's the only way to salvation, that they're praying for that and doing that. But right here, God put us in the middle of this place to make a difference because we're not here very long, are we? Now watch this. Is anything too hard for the Lord? I'll return to the appointed time next year and Sarah will have a son. Sarah was afraid, so she lied and said, I did not laugh. How about that? She didn't want to own her rotten belief system. God, I, I, I'll argue for my belief, but I'm not, I have no conviction I'll have that, even though you said it. But he said, yes, you did laugh. God hears us when we laugh at the impossible. And right now, in some hearts in this room, you probably think that's impossible. That makes for a good message, Pastor. That'll be over as soon as you get through and they get out there and get two hamburgers and some fries, whatever. No, it won't, not in the hearts of those who have a conviction. 
because you'll say, God, I'm praying for that. I'm really praying for that. And God, use me whatever way you want me to do. God, I want to take a risk for you. I want to be willing to fail for you, God, if that means I fail for you. But that's a conviction. That's where you put it on the line and say, God, this campus is so overwhelming. I don't know what to do. We're so few. doesn't matter. It's not the size of you or me. It's the size of God. And God can do some crazy good things. Look at Genesis 21.6. You see, God transformed Sarah's laughter. She laughed at God. But look what God did. Aren't you glad God's merciful, by the way? It says in Genesis 21.6, Sarah said, God has brought me laughter. And everyone who hears about this will laugh with me. God changed her unbelief laughter into some real laughter. Look what God did. I've got a son. I look like I'm the great-great-grandmother and I've got a son. She, God changed it to laughter. You know why? Because God can do the impossible. That's why. It says in 1 Kings 18, 36 and 37, At the time of the sacrifice, the prophet Elijah stepped forward and prayed, Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known today, you are God in Israel, that I'm your servant and have done all these things at your command. God did that. And God showed as he prayed to the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, God did do the impossible, and he's going to do the impossible again today. It's unbelievable, isn't it? Now we look at 1 Kings as we continue. Thank you. Answer me, O Lord, answer me, so the people will know that you, Lord, are God and that you're turning their hearts back again. Sometimes because of this crazy state of the world, I, I would say to you, it looks impossible. I've said to you, to me, it just appears like we've already gone over the cliff. Are we near the cliff yet? Looks like we're over. That's why it will take a miracle, but praise God. It was that dark in Elijah's time. It was that sick in, in Elijah's time. Every kind of perversion and sickness existed then. But some great thing happened because someone got beyond belief and went to conviction. Someone said, you know, I have something I'm willing to die for. And I tell you today that a fire didn't fall from heaven on that sacrifice. What do you think would have happened to Elijah? Hmm? You think those priests and Ahab would let him get away with that? He had to put it on the line. He risked his life, not just there, all through those three and a half years. Ahab was looking for him. Note the used contrast. In the six-hour-plus prayer of the false prophets and Elijah's prayer, God did more of the few sentences than they did in all those hours on all the crazy things they're up to with that. Isn't that something? It's true prayer as we go forward. Thank you. We see, well, we're back. Why are we going back to that for some reason? I don't know why. We're already back to that. Um, to go forward... Past this. Yeah, it's for some reason that went all the way back. And we don't know why. God wants you to learn it twice. Right? God wants you to learn it twice. Thank you. All right. We can go back. Go, go back to the one before that. That'll be good. There you go. He prays that, and that I am your servant and have done all these things at your command. Something really significant is he said, I'm your servant and I've done all these things at your command. He listened to what God said, didn't he? And so true prayer is always backed up with the lordship lifestyle. Lordship lifestyle means if God tells me something that I should be doing, 
then I don't put a but, I don't say, well, not me, or I'm an exception. God says, I've told you these things, this is what I want you to do. Doesn't matter if it's in your dating life, your married life, your tithing life. Doesn't matter if it's in your lifestyle. God's word is what lasts. Truth will last. Truth is going to outlast every politically correct, every government, everything. Truth will abide forever. And a lot of people are putting their stock in what's contemporaneous and right right now. You want to get a laugh at society and what's cool? Look at wedding pictures from the 70s. Hmm? Look at the disco outfits of the set. Collar's about out to here. I had some that looked like I could fly if I just would jump off a building. You had those wide uh, polyester ties that they say will never rot. I still have some. His captain coats are funny, right? Some of you have those. We had men in our church in Texas that had still polyester suits they would wear. Hey, this is really good. It doesn't wear out. <laughs> hey, it's men, right? Women are saying, I need another color of black shoes. But we're saying, we've got a polyester suit. Anyway, the Word of God says, My eyes will be on the faithful one in the land, that they may dwell with me. He whose walk is blameless will minister to me. So God doesn't mean perfect when he says blameless. But Elijah was walking with God. He went and got by the brook. He went and got fed by ravens. He went to the widow with nothing. Thought he was going maybe to some rich widow's house. She has nothing. Her son dies. Elijah's been through the mill. And listen, sometimes when you pray a prayer for revival and a prayer for God to do some great thing, it's not going to happen instantaneously. Sometimes it can. But what led up to that instantaneous miracle up there was a few years of some real sacrifice and following after God. But we're so used to the instantaneous God with microwaves and cell phones and instantaneous knowledge of everything that we think God's at our beck and call too. Elijah said, I'm your servant. And he prayed some significant things Answer me, O Lord, answer me, so these people will know that you, O Lord, are God and that you're turning their hearts back again. Isn't that what our city needs? To have their hearts turned back again. Isn't that what we should be, I mean, right here in the middle of the city, shouldn't we be praying for that kind of revival in our city? God has already planted seeds in the hearts of so many people at that event yesterday, that wedding. Several people, some that were serving, some in other businesses that are attending to that wedding party and all, came up to, I was introduced and said, oh, you're the church that does this or does, feeds the 5,000 or you take care of that school or we're coming, we can't wait to come to that thing you have out there for Halloween. We call it fall spectacular. But anyway, you already know that our church has a reputation in our city for people who care and give and love. Because of Jesus, that's why we do it. Lest it sound self-serving, if you're listening on a simulcast, whatever. We do it because of the love of Christ. Jesus didn't card people coming to the feeding the 5,000 and say, well, you're overemployed, no food for you. They had a need and he took care of it. They heard the truth. See, the word of God says, true prayer comes from a broken heart and that you're turning the hearts back again. Let me just say it here. Thank you. If you're watching out there, I know I'll hear from somebody. It's okay. Turning their hearts back again because if your heart doesn't turn to Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, there's a place called hell. You don't have to go there, friend. It's ugly and it's gross. And many times, people that teach from the Word of God get slammed. All they talk about is giving money in hell. You know, 
That's all they talk. There's a generalization. But let me just say this to you. I don't, I don't apologize for that. God owns everything, period. And the fact that you think, well, I, and God didn't get my money. I studied. I worked. I put all that. Da, da, da. God gave you the ability, according to the word of God, to do what you do. And to not acknowledge him in that with just less than you'd give a waiter is pathetic. So let me just say that and offend some people right there. Secondly, let me also say this regarding God and believing in him and trusting in him as Lord. He wants to be respected. And when he says something, he means it. And he says there's a literal heaven and a literal hell. And friend, you don't have to go there because God loved you so much. As the creator of the world, the one that created the trees that they made a cross out of, where the Savior of this world was crucified. He did that because he loved you, and he did because we couldn't pay for our own sin. He died on the cross, shed his blood, and rose three days later and made the complete payment for your sin. If you're trying to figure some way to get to God through reincarnation or some other religious system where it's God plus something else, if you're involved in that, my friend, you're involved in your own way, and you've called God a liar. God has already made a perfect plan for your life, starting with knowing where you're going when you leave this earth. Because if you stand before him with your plan, it's just not going to work, period. The hearts need to be turned back again to God. Our city, our world has gotten away from the fact that God's the creator of the universe. He's the one that loves us and did what he has for us and given us a set of different things to look at for an abundant life. Period. It says in John 4.35, do not say four months more than the harvest. I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They're ripe to harvest. Look out here. Look at the fields of where you go. Sometimes I'm on an elliptical machine where I work out, and I just count the people. Most recently, there's 86 people. Just counted them one bunch as best I could. And said, so God, I don't, even, I don't even know one person here. They're all eternal beings bound for an eternity. And God, I don't even know what to say. They have little earbuds and I can't even talk to some of them if I wanted to. But I pray someone else in this community will, just like I met someone today back in Guest Central that got a card from one of our members and came. She's here right now. See, it's not rocket surgery, is it? It's stepping out. It's taking a chance. It's being vulnerable. It's saying, God, I'm beyond belief. You see, because you'll die for a conviction. God, I'm, I've got a conviction. that I want to see people turn back to you. It says after a prayer like that, a noble prayer like that, a prayer that owned his servanthood, that believed God was omniscient, omnipotent, that he could do the impossible, a God that is almighty, unlimited and limitless. It says then, then, the smaller of the miracles, the bigger one was those three and a half years where Elijah stepped, walked blameless before God, listened to God. Then God said, I've got someone that's got some conviction here. I've got someone that I can use to do this, not just anybody, someone that's walking with me, someone that's willing to stand up, someone when a whole crowd's on one side, you're over here looking at that because you've already figured out one plus God is always the majority, period. Someone say amen. Thank you. It says, then the fire of the Lord fell and burned up the sacrifice, the wood, the stones, the soil, and also licked up the water in the trench. When all the people saw this, they fell prostrate and cried, the Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. Bring up the next slide. 
Fire fell from heaven. Can fire still fall from heaven in some way? Fall in the hearts of men and women, boys and girls. Fall in the hearts of a people that say, God, I want to be on fire for you. But see, if we can't even commit to say, God, I want to pray a prayer for our city, for revival in our city. I want to commit. I want to have a conviction about that. When you pray it, then God's going to make you part of that conviction if you pray it and mean it. And we don't know what God would do if everyone has that conviction. Say, God, wherever I am, I'm going to look for opportunities to be your person in that place, to, to, to take the impossible and make it possible. Fiery prayers from fiery hearts inside of fiery believers release fire from heaven. Here's your secret formula, right? Three and a half years earlier, Baal worship overran the nation. The king, the leader, everyone pushing it. It looked like nothing's going to happen. But let me tell you something. At the end of the day, the people cried out, The Lord, He is God. The Lord, He is God. Isn't that amazing? So I ask you today, is that part of your heart? I would say that probably in a group this size, there's some hearts that are so, so encompassed with their own stuff that thinking about other people may not even make sense. Friend, listen carefully. You've got to get over yourself. When you come to the Lordship of Jesus Christ, you have to either believe that he's going to help you through whatever you're in the midst of or that he's not. And some of the things that come our way, we put in our way, and God will help you get out of it because he's gracious. But the biggest problem in our city, the biggest problem in our world is people that are not connected to Jesus Christ. And if you are here and you're connected to him, he expects you to be someone that lives with conviction. Well, why, how do you get that out of that message? Well, I, I, I said that, and you see it from his life and what he prayed and what he did. But Jesus' very words, pick up your cross and follow me. You know what that means? That means have a conviction. Pick up an instrument of death, be willing to die for me. And only God could say that, is to die for another person. He said it because he's God today. I'm going to ask you as pastors are coming forward to make a commitment, to make a commitment to him, to make a commitment that says, God, I've had some belief I could argue with family, friends, other people. We've got to have a conviction. And sometimes you have to wipe your feet, go on to the next one, shake the dust from your feet and go to the next place. I understand that. But God's not looking for a bunch of sellouts but they find it convenient to say something. He's looking for people that are truly risk takers for him. People living under a real conviction. People that say, God, I've gotten so off track, I'm praying even for the wrong stuff. I don't know when I prayed the last time for our city or for revival. I don't know when. You have to have the audacity to believe God can do and have revival take place in a major college campus in a city. Where will it start? Where will that fuse be lit? Where will fire fall from heaven? God is looking for me and he's looking for you. He's not going to do it through the pagans. He's looking for someone that will live with that kind of conviction. And that's what it's going to take in this world. And if you look at it and see that there's no hope, there's no hope outside of God. Let me just say that. But with him, there's all the hope and all the possibility that right here in our city, if we have the audacity to stop being unbelieving Christians living in a world of unbelieving pagans and we become Christians that live under a conviction that means we're risking willing to die and we'll see great and mighty things.
I'm believing that of you. I pray you believe it of me. We'll need God's strength to do that. We'll need to stay in constant prayer for that. But that's my prayer for this city and this place. We're not here by coincidence. If that's in your heart, then God wants you to walk with his commands before him. And today, you may have some stuff in your life. You know, God, I'm not blameless. I've stepped over the line and I know it. In my marriage, in my thought life, in what I look at, I've stepped over the line. I've stepped over the line in apathy because I put it on someone else. I've lost interest. I've put God on the back burner. Today, God's calling you to repent and walk with him and give you an abundant life, which he will. You'll never have a closer walk with God as when you take a risk for God and step out. Today's your day to confess it and say, God, I'm not a bad person because I've defined it in the wrong way. But friend, I'm going to say this to you. If you've been apathetic to what's going on out there, you define what good and bad is. When Jesus said, look out there at the harvest. When Jesus said, pick up a cross. Pick it up today. Be a risk taker. Be someone that lives with conviction. And if that's your prayer, you can pray alone. You can confess whatever you need to confess where you are. Come up here, pray with someone or pray alone. If you're looking for a church home, I spoke with some people. Last hour came to Get Central. She heard some people in a hotel place, I don't know, eight, ten miles from here, group of women just talking and having a great time. She went over to talk to them and found out that Lawndale Baptist Church has BSF and has a friend that's here. And she said, God showed me. And the fact this woman's even, they're studying about the great prayers of the Bible. Elijah's prayer is one of them. And you know what the Holy Spirit of God did? She, ha- she and her friend are here today. They're here right now. They're here. God can do crazy good things when we believe. But some people were a witness out where they were. It's not rocket surgery. Be a witness where you are. And so you either run out of the door or you say, God, I want to be where you are. So if you don't have a church home, right now there's a new members class going on. Another one will start again. Come forward today as a candidate for membership right here. We'd love to have you. And this, if you don't know for sure God's way about going to heaven, God's way is simple, profoundly simple. And yet, if you commit an eternal sin, there'll be an eternal consequence. The eternal sin is unbelief in what he has done. Today, you can go from unbelief to belief by recognizing God loves you, that you couldn't pay your own way into heaven, that God came, took your sins to the cross, bled and died and rose three days later and offers eternal life as a gift by what he has done. And if you would do that, he will save you. He knows your heart. And if you mean that, just like he knew what Sarah was thinking, you laughed at him. Some may be laughing right now, whether here or in a simulcast, laughing. Say, that's so narrow and stupid, that can't be true. Jesus said, the road to destruction is wide, and many find it. And I would say to you, friend, the road to hell, it's not marked hell, it's marked safety. You may think you're okay, but Jesus paid your way. Receive him today, then serve him after that. Not to go to heaven, but because you're already on your way to heaven because of what Christ has done. Then you'll truly be free. And when the sun sets you free, you'll be free indeed. Stand and don't wait. Terry's here to lead us. Come as God, through his spirit, has spoken into your heart.